Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. As mentioned in the first episode of the fall series, that was episode number 66. This fall series, the 13 episodes that are being released for fall of 2022, those episodes are focusing on the national sexuality education standards, because I truly believe these standards are able to be used as a tool for adults to talk to young people about puberty and other age and developmentally appropriate topics. One of the topics on this document pertains to sexual orientation and identity, which is what we're going to focus on. This episode is going to focus on that topic. So to help talk about sexual orientation and identity and help read what is found on the National Sexuality Education Standards document, and I'm going to have a link for that in today's description, To help us talk about this topic, I invited Gina Lepore. Gina serves as project coordinator and trainer at ETR and has extensive experience in reproductive and sexual health and sexuality education. Gina is also an adjunct instructor at Cabrio Community College. I'm hoping that I said that correctly. She can, cor- uh, she can correct me if I didn't, which I'm really excited when I have people uh, on the podcast that work with other college folks, because I think it's really neat. It's such a great experience to work with that age group. So let me let her say hi to you all. Hi, Gina. Hello, Lori. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I thank you so much for being here today. I truly do. And would you mind telling us a little bit more about who you are and your background? Sure, no problem. Um, I'd be happy to. Uh, You got a lot of the professional like highlights there. Um, I teach at, at Cabrillo College in uh, Santa Cruz, California. Um, it's possible at some point, just for a posterity sake, that that name will change. Um, the school is actually looking into changing the name because Cabrillo was a conquistador and there were lots of issues with uh, his treatment of native peoples. And uh, so the the college is considering changing the name to something that's a little bit more reflective of the history of, of California. Um, but uh, I have been teaching there for the past few years in the health science department. I teach a, a human sexuality course. I love working with the young people that go to Cabrillo. Um, I learn so much from my students every semester I teach. Um, I came to this work, gosh, I came to this work, I came to realize that this is the area that I wanted to work in back in college in my undergrad at UC Santa Cruz, uh, was studying psychology and took this fabulous course on feminism by this amazing professor, um, Bettina Aptecker, who was kind of a leader in the feminist field back in the day and got really inspired um, by that course and then took a course in female physiology after that, which is also equally fascinating. And that kind of launched my desire to work in the area in general of of women's health, reproductive health. Um, I began working at a health clinic in college and then continued to work 
at um, continued on after that to work at Planned Parenthood. Um, back in 1994, I was there for four years um, and was a medical assistant and an, and an educator at the clinic. And, um, and then began working shortly after that at ETR, where I am still currently working. Um, it's a fabulous organization to work with. And I have learned so much in my tenure with ETR over the years and have worked on so many different projects. Um, went back a little bit later in my career and got my master's degree in human sexuality education from Widener University. And since then have done a number of other kind of little side projects and jobs that have just expanded my, I guess my knowledge base and my experience in terms of the work that I do in human sexuality and, and sexuality education. Um, but yeah, primarily right now I'm working at ETR and there currently I specifically develop trainings for educators that are working in the field of sexuality, sexual reproductive health with uh, middle school and high school age students across the state of California. Um, the agencies that we serve are agencies that are receiving state federal funding to do that work in their communities. And we provide a lot of technical assistance in addition to offering trainings to those educators. So um, I put that hat on for some hours of the week and then I put the Cabrillo human sexuality professor hat on some hours of the week. And sometimes I feel like I'm wearing both. And then um, I'm also a mother to two fabulous young men who are now 20 and 23. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I could say more but I think that sums it up. <laughs> Thank you again for being here, Gina. And I, I love that you have this experience of helping teachers in the K through 12 setting, um, particularly how we talk about this topic. So I appreciate your expertise and for choosing to be here today to talk about sexual orientation and identity. So should we jump in and start reading some of those items on the, uh, on the document? It's actually- yeah. yeah, for yeah. for the listeners, again, look for the link that will be provided in this episode's description. And it notes that what we're referring to, it notes page 47, but I think if you download the PDF, it might be a little off by a page or two. So look for the title of Sexual Orientation and Identity, in which the first section, again, if you heard me talk with Nora in episode 66, each topic category is broken down to grade levels. There's up to grade two, and then three to five, six to eight, nine to 10, 11 to 12. And what we're going to do today is we're going to focus more on what is noted for students up to grade eight, if we can get through all of that, which we should be able to due to the fact that there is nothing listed under grade two. So this document that notes what is age and developmentally appropriate, there's nothing noted for grade two. So we can jump right to grade five, that by the end of fifth grade, students should be able to. And you wanna start us, Gina? Yeah, um, you, can I make a quick note in terms of a quick comment yeah. first about why there probably isn't anything for grade two? Absolutely. Um, and that's just, and that speaks to the, you know, the, the carefully thought out construction of this document in terms of what's developmentally appropriate. So I just, I know some people think when they hear that there's any sex ed happening in grade two, um, if they don't know how carefully a lot of this is thought out, 
they might have a misunderstanding of what would actually be taught in grade two. And I think one of the reasons that sexual orientation and identity isn't taught at that grade is that in grade two, typically, if you're doing any kind of sex ed, right, it's really more about boundary setting. It's about relationships in the form of mm -hmm. friendships at that stage, because that's mostly what we're talking about. We're helping young people kind of develop an awareness and an understanding of how to be respectful with your friends and how to develop some personal boundaries to keep yourself safe and to also be respectful of your classmates and your peers and your teachers. And so those are the kinds of things that are typically talked about in second grade. Um, and then that's why, you know, by fifth grade, now we're, we're getting into deeper topics that relate more to an individual young person's sense of self, right? Sense of who they are. Okay, so um, basics, right? One of the, one of the uh, indicators here is that someone by the age of, uh, at the end of fifth grade, they should be able to define sexual orientation. And, and that might look as simple in a classroom like setting or a lesson is just maybe a lesson on what it is, what it means to be attracted to somebody and who we can be attracted to. And then if we're gonna talk about our attraction based on the genders of the people that we're attracted to, that's what sexual orientation is. So it's probably something very simple in a classroom setting that addresses that standard. The glossary that aligns with the national sexuality education standards has sexual orientation defined in this manner. It's a person's romantic, emotional, and or sexual attraction to other people. Sexual orientations include, but are not limited to, asexual, bisexual, gay, heterosexual, lesbian, pansexual, and queer. pretty much covers the spectrum. <laughs> right, and which right. we don't necessarily go into all that detail in fifth grade, although some schools may, if they have support from administration and also the PTA or the parents or the committee. I know in the state of Michigan, every school district has a committee specific for sex education to give mm -hmm. approval of what can and cannot be done. Right. And it's good to remember too, when, when, when we're looking at such details like the description that you just read, the definition of what sexual orientation is and all of the terms that are in there, that that's not saying, if anybody comes across that, it's not saying literally that you must talk about all of these things. That's more giving an educator context and background and language so that when they're going in to teach this, they have those terms available to them and an understanding of what that definition is. Thank you for bringing that up because yeah. the other thing is this glossary is for the K through 12 setting overall. So it doesn't break it down to this is how to define it at the fifth grade. And I love how you, how you brought up, this is really for the educator to understand better. Yes. Um, although yes. this definition might be used in the senior, the, the 12th grade setting. Yeah, definitely. But that, it's good to remember that these technical documents are there for educators and administrators and things like that. And sometimes people will pull out little pieces and think that this is going to be taught in the classroom this way. And that's just not how the document's used, right? right. Okay. Shall we move on to the next one? Sure. Um, I'm going to go across the rows. So identify trusted adults, including parents and caregivers, whom students can ask questions about sexual orientation. Yeah. 
as you said earlier, we teach that to younger children too, that they, to identify trusted adults, but this then applies it to sexual orientation, which I'm a huge fan of young people going to a trusted adult. Same. And this is one of, I think, the standards in our field, right, as sexuality educators is to continue to affirm the importance of the relationship that young people have with a trusted adult. And the reason that we're saying trusted adult is that we're acknowledging that a caregiver or a trusted adult can look different for different young people, right? Sometimes, sometimes a young person's parent that they're living with, right, is their trusted adult. They have a good relationship with that parent. They feel safe with that parent. They can go to that parent and ask questions. Um, there are other young people, for example, children living in the foster system, right? Or a child who's living in a home where they unfortunately don't have a trusting, safe relationship with the parent, but maybe they have an aunt or a teacher or an older sibling or someone like that. And so that's why we say trusted adults and caregivers is to acknowledge that the range of, of adults that a young person could go to for this information. The last one in that column happens to be a favorite of mine. And I have a personal story or a friend's personal story regarding that. And it's under advocacy, reading, demonstrate ways to promote dignity and respect for people of all sexual orientations, including other students, their family, family members and members of the school community. And I think it's really neat that there was a student, um, a friend of mine who's a health teacher in the middle school had a student who I don't remember what their sexual orientation was, but it was, they, they were very open about it in middle school. And when this individual graduated from the senior high school, you know, from the high school, my friend asked them, you know, were you ever bullied, you know? And the student said, absolutely not. It was like the school community was so supportive of all students, no matter how they identified, no matter what their orientation was. So I love that schools are able to promote that dignity and respect. I love that. Yep, same. And I think that's that's just to place that in the larger context of a school community. You know, a lot of schools have like character education programs that they're bringing in to encourage a welcoming, inclusive, safe environment for everyone in school. And as we know, you know, bullying of anyone in the school environment can lead to a number of negative outcomes for young people. Right. Um, and so this isn't, this isn't suggesting that, you know, kids need to go out and be waving a pride flag around at school or something like that, but it's suggesting that just having that larger awareness of being respectful and kind to the people in our communities as a core value is so important. Yes. Um, and I think that in a classroom, like if that was to be taught in like a, a lesson, it would really just be couched in that larger context of how do we treat everyone else in general with respect, uh, regardless how similar to or different from us they are, right? right. Um, so yeah, super important as well. Um, should we go back to yeah. the next one? Yeah. So. Another item just under the, so there's different categories in the NSES, so under core concepts, and that was the defined sexual orientation as a core concept. Another core concept for students to understand by the end of fifth grade is to be able to differentiate between sexual orientation and gender identity. And um, 
And this is really just basically like having an understanding that who someone is attracted to or interested in romantically or sexually, right, is different than how they present themselves, like how they understand their own identity to be in the world. Um, there's a great, like as an example of a lesson plan that, that I love, I, I love that this is in the three R's. So the three R's stands for rights, respect, responsibility. It's a curriculum that was developed by Advocates for Youth, which is an organization in our field that does amazing work advocating for young people, advocating for youth. And they have this free, very comprehensive curriculum that's available, right? So educators can kind of create their own curriculum from a set of lesson plans. Um, I love that in the, one of the lesson plans that they have that would be applicable like for this age or slightly older um, around this is that they speak to something called the OBI model, which is something that the OBI model stands for Orientation, Behavior, and Identity. And it's a very simple model. It was developed by um, two scholars out of Widener University where I did my graduate work, um, Brent Satterley and Don Dyson, I think back in the 90s. And you know, it's really simple, but it's, it's a, a model that helps us understand that someone's orientation is different than their identity and that those two concepts are also different than their behavior. And this is important because sometimes when people are misinformed about sexuality and these different components of our sexuality, they'll think that they can look at a person and just by looking at how they present themselves to the world or the way that they dress or the way that they do their hair or the way that they walk through the world, they can understand what that person's orientation is. And when you're looking at somebody and, and you're looking at how they present themselves to the world, that's really their identity or their gender expression, right? Um, so it's just learning to differentiate that and then understanding that someone's behavior, like what they're actually doing or who they're in a relationship with, may or may not be indicative of their overall identity or their orientation. It might just be who they happen to be hanging out with at this point in time, right? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, okay. it does. Okay. So we just went over four different statements that are in the area for by the end of fifth grade, students should be able to, and which I'd like to transition to the eighth grade. Yet due to time, we don't need to repeat what was already said for fifth grade. Certainly if you're in the educational field, you understand that we, we might define something to a younger uh, set of students in a grade. And as they age, we get more deeper. So instead of defining, it might be comparing or just higher level thinking things. So, and I think, so we can go past the core concepts if you're okay with that, sure. Gina. Yep, yep. And then let's go into yeah. analyzing influences. Yeah, so one of the um, indicators here for by the end of eighth grade, uh, young people should be able to analyze how peers, media, family, society, culture, and a person's intersecting identities, lots of big words here, can influence attitudes, beliefs, and expectations about sexual orientation. Um, I think this really just speaks to understanding that we are all you know, these social creatures that live in this environment with a number of mm -hmm. different influences and messages coming at us. And it's really just you know, being able to engage in some critical thinking, which is an expectation of middle schoolers, right? Um, across all subjects that we can engage in critical thinking about the different influences on how we view the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
I actually had a college class of future health educators analyze a program that's on Netflix and they had to watch the first season and they look specifically all sexuality. One group actually focused on sexuality and the other group focused on substances. And then we compared at the end what was said, not even compared, but just shared the answers at the end of the semester. And it was really neat to hear these folks go, I didn't even realize how many messages about sexuality is out there when you just like, you don't pay attention to it until you're asked to pay more attention to it at times. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I can go to a movie and I'm like instantly like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, you know, they're, they're promoting a stigma there or wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I don't like that. Or this is what they're doing. Like I've, I've become more aware, but I think it's so important to create awareness for, for young people to analyze what they're being shown. Would you agree yeah. with that? Oh, 100%. I yeah. think it's, I think it's key to being able to decipher what other people are telling you about the way things are or the way they should be and decipher what, what you want for yourself. So one of the things that Al Vernacchio, another educator in our field, who I think was also on your show recently, yes. talks about is encouraging authenticity, encouraging young people to develop an authentic sense of self and sexuality for themselves. And this is one of the steps to getting there is like, oh, I've heard this message all of my life from this person, but it it doesn't really work for me. It doesn't really fit with my values or the way that I see right. the world. So I recognize that that influence is there. And it's not one that I maybe choose to kind of incorporate into my own understanding of how the world works. And I talk about this with my Cabrillo college students, actually. Early in the semester, I asked them to talk about the influences and the messages that they've received from others about sexuality. And, and it's yes. very revealing. It's very mm -hmm. revealing. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, moving on to another category or really standard health education standard of accessing information. Um, if you remember for the younger children, it was for children to access information from a trusted adult. For up to the eighth grade, this is where we teach how to access credible sources of information about sexual orientation. And I know you have some resources or sources that you recommend. I'm sure you have some favorites. Do you mind sharing some of those with us? Sure. Um, well, I mean, we talked about Amaze, uh, amaze.org. I think that's a fabulous resource uh, for young people and for parents. Um, it's an organization or it's a, a website that primarily has a lot of short animated videos that are really easily accessible that convey, you know, very basic to more complex, you know, aspects of sexuality in these short, fun videos. And they also have a number of um, resources for both parents and educators. Um, oh, gosh, there are a lot of great books out there that oh yeah, that are um, that are great for young people um, to be able to access different resources. There's websites. Um, I really love the genderspectrum.org, okay. mm -hmm. that website. Um, Gender Spectrum has, again, it's the, the website is just beautiful. So it's really user-friendly. Whoever their UX designer is did a fabulous job. Um, but I, I really love that website because it gives people language and clarity around understanding all of these concepts about you know gender and orientation and um, 
is a very positive, affirming site that shares very accurate information about what we understand about you know, young people's development and developing their sense of identity and who they are. And there's resources there again for educators, for young people and for parents. So genderspectrum.org. Excellent. Great resource. Excellent. Yeah. And I know if actually our listeners, if you go to a lot of the people that were on this podcast, some of them have websites and then they have this long list in which they're so well-developed that I have on my list, some of their names just to go to because they that's their full-time job I think that they even have all these resources and they do presentations and trainings and all which is wonderful yes um shall we move on to the next one sounds great if you don't mind reading it yeah so this is under the category of interpersonal communication so that's one of the one of the categories in the NSES And it just says, demonstrate ways to communicate respectfully with and about people of all sexual orientation. So you can see how this builds upon that other standard that was in fifth grade, which is treating people with dignity and respect. And so this is just really about being able to communicate respectfully with people. Um, And in order for young people to be able to communicate um, respectfully with one another. They have to be able to understand, again, like the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity, which is why um, that's built upon for the eighth graders as well as being able to remember what is sexual orientation, how is it different than gender identity, because that knowledge base helps somebody communicate respectfully um, with people of different orientations, yeah. right? Instead of mis- like doing something like misgendering them or making assumptions about their identity because of what they know about their sexual orientation, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's as simple as saying, I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. <laughs> you know, tell me how you would like me to refer to you or, yeah. or help me understand, you know, um, you know, what's true for you, right? Who you are, what's mm-hmm. true for you. Very simple. Yeah. Yeah. And some reminders for our listeners that communication, there, how we communicate, there's a variety of ways. It can be verbally, it can be non-verbally with our body language, and it can also be in written or print form, however you want to say it, that something's posted on, if it's um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, et cetera, that we attempt to teach young people how to communicate respectfully in all those forms, if possible. Exactly. Yeah. This is one of the, I can just say, even um, at the, at the college level, a lot of students, when I ask them at the beginning of the semester, why they're taking the class, a lot of them say, I just want to be better informed so that I can be supportive and respectful of everybody around me. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have the language that I feel like I need to have to understand all of this. And I want to have that language so that I don't offend people so that I understand and I use the right language. So it's important at all age levels. Um, Yeah. So the last one, again, and this is, um, this is for eighth, well, it's not actually the last one. It's the last one on specifically related to orientation, right? But then for eighth grade, um, under advocacy, and this one says, develop a plan for the school to promote dignity and respect for people of all sexual orientations in the school community. 
and you know how would this be how would this be operationalized in a school some people might wonder like what do you mean you're gonna ask my like a child is by young persons expected to develop a plan for the school what this looks like to me probably in action is a teacher might as part of you know their their lessons on sexuality they might ask the students to engage in some kind of like small media campaign at the school, like make posters to put up around the school about being respectful to one another or make stickers or do a presentation. These are types of activities that we see happening in middle school related to all different subjects, right? Students are encouraged right. to kind of share out the work that they're doing in their different classes uh, or share information with one another or do these campaigns around the school to try to promote you know, and advocate for for different causes or different values or different rights. And so that's that's when I look at this, I think, how would that actually look in a school? Probably around that is developing right. some kind of little campaign around right. being respectful. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, um, if you're a parent or caregiver in which you have a child in a school right now, you have the right, everybody has the right to go to the school to see if they have a, um, a document noting respectful behavior for everyone at the school. I know Chicago Public Schools, they did a lot of work on that. So not a code of conduct, but there's something about just overall district policy to ensure safety for all children and youth. And a lot of schools have that. So feel free to check in with the schools for that, in which sometimes young people are a part of helping to put that together or create changes for that document. Right. right, which is, as we know, as educators is a great way to get them more engaged and to increase the yeah. buy-in, right? And when, when the campaigning and the messaging is coming from the young people themselves, it's so much more effective. Yeah. It can be than when it's top-down adults talking to young people. And again, the, the larger context of this I see is, is really, you know, attempting in our society uh, to eradicate what later on as adults, you know, can turn can be hate crimes right like this is what this is about and we've I think we're all witnessing right now um so many tragedies that happen because of hate discrimination bigotry racism um that cost people lives right yeah. and are are very um very damaging and this kind of having this kind of uh, advocacy in a school is so important to raise a generation that is more aware of the importance of being respectful of others and not engaging yeah. in bullying and, and other types of acts of violence against people. Yeah. yeah, so important. Well, Gina and I just went through the sexual orientation and identity section of the NSES for up to grade eight. So again, you're free to click on that link for the document, go to 47, that's the printed document. It, it reads 47 on the printed page in front of me. So feel free to use that as a tool to talk to the young people in your life. And if you're a younger person, feel free to use this to see, okay, what typically is age and developmentally appropriate for your age? And to end actually, Gina, how I wanna end for today is to see if you have any advice for if there's young people listening in or for adults listening in. Great question, Laurie. Um, 
I, my advice would really be to go to, again, to as adults, right, and even as young people to access credible sources of information about sexuality, because I think right now with with the way that sexuality education in our country in particular, unfortunately, is so very heavily politicized, um, it's really easy to fall into a trap of having, of being misinformed or disinformed about what's actually happening or what's actually gonna be said in a class or in a sexuality education program. So I would encourage people to go to trusted websites. And I'm guessing, Lori, that you have provided kind of a list of those, like amaze.org is a trusted website, this gender spectrum site, Advocates for Youth, SICUS, uh, FOSSI, ETR, where I happen to work. Um, these are trusted sources in the field that you can go to to get accurate information instead of kind of buying into maybe a lot of the hype that you might be hearing, even from people in your community that you feel you trust. Right. They might not have the best information. As someone who's an educator, I'm also a researcher, and I really prefer to try to go to the source of something myself rather than take somebody else's word for that source. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that is so important for all of us. So for young people, it's accessing the websites and the sources that are going to be appropriate for you as a young person. And as an adult, it's learning to go to those sites that are most appropriate for you as an adult, especially as a caregiver of a young person. Um, that would be my, my advice. And then asking questions like leaning in with curiosity rather than judgment. Like before we have the information that we have to make an accurate assessment of something, ask questions first so that you really have a better understanding and then form a judgment based on that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And Lori, I wanted to just add quickly, if I could. Absolutely. In the state of California, so uh, these national sexuality education standards are a wonderful document nationally. There are different states in our union right now that have developed their own kind of set of standards that are codified into state law or education codes. So California, the equivalent of, of FOSI, so the, the document, the, the set of standards that's actually required now mandated in all public middle schools and high schools. So this doesn't pertain to elementary schools um, in the state of California, but we have written into our education code, a series of requirements for comprehensive sexuality education in public and charter schools in the state of California. And that is called the California Healthy Youth Act. And so just for any listeners out there who are actually living in the state of California, that might be another useful document, not to take away from the NSES, but to complement what you're mm -hmm. presenting, Lori, on the NSES. It's also helpful to know what's actually happening in your own state because that's um, likely to be um, to have more of an impact in terms of what's happening in your child's own school district or in your own community. So again, we can post a link to that, but it's the California Healthy Youth Act, otherwise known as CHIA, and that has a number of requirements for comprehensive sexuality across the state. And I think New York is pretty close behind in developing their own set of standards mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, so as Gina said, please reach out to your local districts and your state offices, you know, the educational offices to find out what is required uh, within your state. And if schools aren't doing that requirement to advocate that they do the best they can, or not even the best they can to actually teach comprehensive sex education to the children and youth. Well, I appreciate you being here today, Gina, 
And if people want more information about what you shared with us today, where can they get more information? So I think if people are specifically wanting more information about the topics we've talked about, I will share my email address uh, at ETR. It's a great way to reach me. I mean, you can Google me, Google Gina, La Gina Lapore and ETR, and that will probably bring up my staff page, uh, which I believe has a link to my email, but it's basically my first name, G-I-N-A dot L-E-P-O-R-E at ETR.org. Excellent. And I'm going to put that in the description for today's episode. Sounds good. Thank you, Lori. Well, I thank you. Seriously, I thank you so much. You are such an educated and passionate person for young people having age and developmentally appropriate information and training or assisting educators in doing that. So I thank you for all that you're doing. You're very welcome. I and I thank you as well for the work that you're doing in the field. I, one of the things that I really love about working in this field, besides the work that we do for young people, um, is the community of professionals that I get to work with every day. Um, I find very supportive and inspiring. So thank you so much. I love doing this podcast in which I am connecting with so many different people. It's so much fun. It really is. So I thank bet. you again. Thank you again for being here, Gina. And to our listeners, I truly thank you for listening in. Feel free to connect with Gina at gina.lapore at etr.org. And to connect with me, you can email me at pubertyprof at gmail.com. Or you can go to pubertyprof.com and there'll be a comment box there you can fill out. So feel free to connect with us. And again, thank you so much for listening in. We hope that you learned something regarding the NSES and how it could be used as a tool to help talk to young people about the topic of sexual orientation and identity. So thanks for being here again. And I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.